Hey, it's Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doc. Thanks for joining me on my podcast, Tell Me Something Good About Retail, where I interview some of the best entrepreneurs and retailers and people who deal with retail in a new and exciting podcast format each week. So join me live here, or you can also find out more about me at retaildoc.com. That's R-E-T-A-I-L-D-O-C.com. Let's get going. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I interview one of my favorite clients, Dean Schulman, CEO of Brother, and he shares how observing his customers helped him have aha moments, the need to partner with your dealer network, and if you want to be successful, which reviews he always reads and why. Have a listen. What do you have to do with retail? You've only been in it all of your life. Give me some highlights because you're kind of a big deal. I was fortunate at Brother International to uh, be a senior vice president and board member. For the last 11 years, they asked me to reinvent their original business at Brother. Uh, Some people might think of it as the multifunction printer fax company, maybe typewriter fax. But their original business was sewing and embroidering machines. And that started in 1986. And uh, I've had the responsibility to do virtually everything, uh, meaning really running a company from sales, marketing, operations, product development. I think my core strength is the ability to see what others don't, meaning that I've always been a huge fan of Steve Jobs and Apple and trying to think different. In fact, that's the reason that I call my consulting company think different marketing because i believe that that's really what has made uh, uh, brother successful with my stay there and my ability to you know understand especially the changing distribution channels yeah. whether it be amazon early on and understand that it's all about reviews and that if uh, you invented something and had 4.5 stars you could actually own a category uh, to wow. um, Walmart, to really the dealer business, which to me is always the most exciting because that's a one-on-one relationship, as you know, with um, individuals who are really the American dream, to start a business, to have a family involved in the business, um, to create wealth, and to you know really be able to manage their own life. But the business they do that money is to send their kids to college to provide a better life for their children and the next generation. So absolutely. Well, you know, that's the thing I, you know, uh, I guess a true confessional here. I have uh, spoken for uh, Dean at various events over the years. And I think the thing that always struck me was how um, connected you were to your dealer network. And I was just kind of wondering, I mean, I have a bunch of different podcast questions I asked, but you're such a, um, you have so many, um, had so many irons in the fire. You know, I have an awful lot of people that listen who are uh, at that top level and uh, have dealer networks. And how do you, I mean, maybe you can give me an example. You don't have to say a name of, of people, but like, you know, companies that did not get it, maybe competitors and their dealer networks and how you were able to, construct this that you had passionate dealers who showed up at events paid their own way and um, again and again that's not that doesn't just happen right correct um i think 
again, I'm, I'm trying to position it as, you know, things I did and not try to toot my horn. Um, sometimes this is where you can toot your horn. It's perfectly all right. All right. It's a little tough sometimes. Um, I think what happened is business in general before Amazon came into the play, because we're talking about 11 years ago, Walmart, of course, had to up their game. But I think in the dealer community, one of the things I knew, because before Brother, I had actually sold copiers for a company called Savin Corporation, and they were all dealer based. So I had that background. So one of the reasons I was so excited about asking to take, be asked to take over the sewing and embroidery business because it was dealer oriented. What did that mean? That meant that I wasn't trying to sell to a company who all they wanted to do was extract huge amounts of money, back end money, support money, advertising money, yeah. that I could actually make a difference by working with these individuals, of which many at the time did not have a college education. Uh-huh. Many of them, their parents, or sorry, their father was a repairman for Singer Corporation. Right. right. So one of the things that I knew was that this was a personal relationship. And back then, again, we're talking about 2006 to 2010, our competitors tried to sell these individuals a car load, a truck load, <laughs> a boat load of product. Yeah. And knowing from doing business with Walmart and Amazon that when you ship that level of product to somebody, they are really only acting as a secondary distribution center for you. Right. That's not selling product. It's about making your numbers, not theirs, right? And what happens after the second month when they don't sell the product? They hate you, don't they? And they don't buy anymore. Yeah. So um, I kind of adopted with the dealers this very simple concept, the sell-in, sell-out concept. If I was going to sell into a dealer by using a promotion, I had to supply them an end-user promotion at the same time Mm. so that I – my general philosophy was to go around and through distribution. What did that mean? Is although I knew that distribution is number one, because if you don't have somebody to sell your product, you're dead. Yeah. But the reality is, as a company, if we're not engaging the end user directly and creating that differentiation and being able to create an aha moment for the end user to get off the couch and actually drive to a dealer, then you you haven't succeeded because all you've done is moved your inventory to their inventory. So around and through meant that I would work with the dealers, mano to mano, one-on-one. But if I couldn't help them sell through the product, then we were only not providing the real solution, but we weren't creating a future and a relationship between the two of us. Well, I think that's really huge because I, as you know, I speak to an awful lot of different brands and um, I think that's a, that's finessing the model. I, I think that a lot of times they're not connected, right? We have this promotion and it isn't that idea of sell in and sell out. Maybe it's like sell in and then, oh, well, we have to have a, now we have to come up with something, but you, you made it so that it basically became a donut that both sides, the products in the middle, but both sides have to win. 
we're not just going to dump it on them and then burn through our dealer network, right? Exactly right. And the yeah. key was for us to, you know, we had great product, which was also a real advantage. Our product worked out of the box. Many of the competitors uh, back then, now they've all kind of stepped up because they were forced to. A lot of their product, even though they were selling 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, they didn't work out of the box. Highly mechanical, highly electronic. But mm. Brothers Manufacturing was such that ours always worked out of the box because we were completely uh, vertically integrated. So the advantage was introducing also technology. So here you have an industry, and I had this expression where people would bring up all these objections or they would have all these suggestions. And my, my question always was, this was kind of a play on words, I would say, so what? S-E-W, <laughs> right? And I would also ask the people when I joined this division, because remember, I had 20 years on the business machine side at Brother. Right. Uh, and P-Touch was kind of my first you know, success there and then creating the whole home office theater uh, environment and grabbing that. So selling was really kind of my third act. So anyway, so we would go ahead and just make sure that we had to create an aha moment. We had to make sure that we were going forward to engage that end user. So by technology, we took something like when I first looked at people who sew, and I don't know anything about sewing, but I do know about how to do business. Yeah. And I noticed that people were, you know, what I called the Bob. They were going up and down with the sewing machine. And because the general population tends to be older, a lot of the women were wearing progressive lenses or, you know, close right, up glasses. Right, right. And I've always been a big uh, kind of audio guy and, and big TV guy back from the 70s. I was very much in the high end audio. Anyway, so the prices of displays were dropping. And I said, I don't understand. I said, you have a camera. Why can't you put a camera and put in a, a big display instead of using these small LCDs. Oh, my gosh. And that cool. way, why, it makes sense. That was our first breakthrough, was being able to put this camera so you could actually see what the needle saw. Another example. You probably know this because I'm sure you've seen it on TV. Do you remember when somebody used to hang this device on the wall or they'd push it on the wall and it would lay a red line down the wall and it was for hanging pictures and it oh, was yeah, an infomercial? sure. sure. So I also like to build things, not very well, but I like to build it and fix it. So I go to the store and there I see a miter saw with a built-in laser that puts a line down the wood. Now, why does it do that? If you've ever built anything, most people fail to take into account the thickness of the blade. Totally. Yeah. So when you cut two, two ends of it, you could be an eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch off. That shelf isn't fitting. That's right? why I don't make things anymore. Right. Yeah, exactly, my friend. No lasers when I had to do it. Yeah. So the other thing I saw when I was watching people sew, and, and this is why I say, I, you know, I see things that other people don't, is I ask people, what's the hardest part about sewing? Again, we're talking a little bit, you know, six, seven years ago. And the answer is sewing straight. So they use these chalk marks and they use, you know, protractors right. and... Right. And I said, well, well, why can't we just put a red line on the fabric and then just, just follow the red line? And that's how that came about. So those are the things I think that also made our product very unique so that what does a sewing machine do? 
it just shows whether it's a $49 machine or a $3,000 machine. So we had to differentiate our product by creating things that make the product easier and is very unique. Well, if I can build on yeah. that, because I think it's knowing the customer, you know, it's interesting. Um, we're recording this as uh, the death knell is about to fall on Sears. Everybody's convinced. Yes. And um, I was talking to uh, a man just yesterday. He was talking about how, you know, when I was, uh, when my kids were growing up back in the 60s, um, we would go through and we would call for our orders or use the catalog because we had three small kids. And then we could go to the catalog pickup desk and I was done in 20 minutes and I had my sanity and he goes, they stopped doing it and we stopped being a customer. And I thought, holy crap, that's kind of the whole point. You're a death by millions of cuts. And one of them is understanding that, oh, we didn't really serve our customer here. We made it convenient on us. And now the joke, of course, Dean, is that Target and Walmart, everybody's toting, oh, buy online, pick up and store. Yeah, we used to just call that call the store, order from the catalog and pick it up. So all these great retailers, whether it's Pennies or Sears or a million other ones, um, who let that vision go and didn't see the, the common frustration of a, of a young family as a competitive advantage kind of hurt themselves, right? Absolutely. What they saw was the, the failure to see multiple changes in the marketplace, whether it be mm. an aging demographic, the changing in uh, financial capability as baby boomers got older, but some of their income became more disposable because their yeah. kids had left. Right. And I think that the whole nature of realizing very early on, uh, and, and as, I, as I said, I joked about this, is Amazon, um, we had a discussion about whether or not we should uh, really develop our website. And I had seen early on and I said, well, wait a minute. After I talked to all these people, I said, why would you invest a lot of money in a company website? If in fact, we know that for product, the number one search now for product is Amazon. Yeah. So unless you're gonna offer something unique, like for instance, Maybe you're in the medical business or you're, it's a technical report or technical. The company websites have little use today if you're selling product. If it's a service, I get it. If it needs videos, I get it. But the reality is Amazon is the number one search engine now. And what does everyone look for? The number of reviews and how many stars it has. So true, so true. I'm uh, actually doing a webinar here in about another hour with Podium, and Podium is a whole system of um, working with your POS system to uh, basically text your customer to get Google reviews, because the more reviews you have on your site, the better, and they are a Google partner, so they are finding amazing success where you, you know, your most retailers are hoping to God, I've got two or three. Well, if you had hundreds, suddenly you have much bigger creed than you've ever had. So it is a new market, I think. Um, just understanding that we're willing to take anonymous strangers' uh, advice if there's a lot of them, right? Correct. Yeah, Correct. I think, I think, I think that's it. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And as, as, a, as a manufacturer, I would read the reviews. Again, this is just you know, me, I, I read the reviews for the opposite. I wanted to know what the bad reviews were. 
because that's where you find out the gems of how to fix your product or how to make it more interesting. The positive reviews is where you grab those unique descriptives that people use. So you can offer those same descriptive moment for yeah. a new potential customer. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think that's I think that's great. Um, I've got to switch gears on you a little bit. Yeah. What would you tell a friend who comes to you, Dean? Dean, I've, I've uh, finally uh, had it with corporate America. Um, we're going to open our own retail store. So there you are, and you guys go out to coffee. What would you tell this person? <sighs> I would probably tell them that not only is it that brick and mortar is so difficult today is to whether or not they can turn it into an internet play and use social media and those people who um, are advocates about your product because the margins will be significantly higher. Yes. You won't have the real estate issues, the, reg the regulation issues for what you need to do in your store. And even in my local town, parking's a problem. You know, does does people want to walk to it? And then the size of the product that you have, uh, they're going to have to put it in their car. So I would really strongly recommend that anyone who has a good idea and really wants to develop a business, it's not impossible to do retail, but it is very difficult. And it's also because if you're going to get into the retail business, take Best Buy, for instance. Best Buy was almost dead. Yeah. They recognize that with technology products that you can't just buy those on Amazon or online because many of the people who are buying it, let's say over the age of 40, don't have the skill set or the time or patience anymore to figure the integration of all of these devices. Very true. So they went out and started the Geek Squad and acquired a company, even IKEA just went, um, went ahead and purchased a company. I'm trying to remember the name of it. But basically, uh, they have all these individuals part-time. And of course, there's only two things worse, the two things that are horrendous to assemble. And then I'll mention the third one. The first one is a barbecue. You <laughs> never, That's ever, so ever buy a barbecue no. without paying the money for them to no. assemble very true. The second is a bicycle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So now the third is ready to assemble furniture. I was going to say Ikea. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Horrendous. So now they bought a company and a friend of mine just used them in Brooklyn. Uh, she had a TV. They will come and they charge you by the hour. Very reasonable. They will hang the TV for you. She bought a complete uh, dresser that was all ready to assemble. Of course, you lay it out. There's 400 pieces. Impossible. With a line drawing done by a three-year-old. Yeah. And guy came over, came with his little bag. And by the way, this is a part-time job. It's a gig. Yes. He was a student. And this was a gig for him. And he just came over. And in one hour, looked at I think he actually was an engineering student. And he looked at this jigsaw puzzle, assembled it, said thank you, and left. What a great business. Yeah, great model. So full service is, I think brick and mortar for an independent today is really challenging. 
because how do you get people to get off the couch in this one-click environment that you can return the next day, get delivery the next day? Well, you, you bring some good points. Uh, I think that, you know, ultimately, if you're not doing a better job than somebody else, you're going to have a tough time. And to your point, um, there's, an, you know, there's also a new customer out there that we didn't see five or ten years ago, which is using your store as a closet. You know, Best Buy is having a terrible time with, I guess, um, you know, millennials are going and getting the sales pitch on the best video film uh, equipment, buying it, filming the wedding, and then returning it the next day. So, there's a whole different element of service and, you know, the young woman nowadays can also rent the shoes, the dress, the purse, (laughs) the jewels, and she doesn't have to own it. And that's going to, unfortunately, you and I get along awfully well. We could talk for hours on this, but you know, those are, those are also big deals. Uh, I think that last year, the narrative wanted to say retail apocalypse, everything's dead. I think clearly that's not happening. We're hearing millennials and, Gen Z want to go out and go shopping, which is different than online, to your point. If I'm going to go online, I'm buying. I want to get this pen with this ink, or I want to get this part, whereas the joy of shopping does seem to be coming back. At least when I walk through downtown areas in particular, and even in malls, I'm noticing an awful lot more bags. So I think that's always uh, that's always a good sign. Um, unfortunately, we're coming towards the end of our uh, time. What do you think... Um, what would you be excited about, about retail? What do you think you could tell me something good about retail? Cause a lot of your dealers are going to listen to this. And a lot of people, you have so many insights to, to glean, but um, you know, what, why do we stay in that? What would be good? I, I think that the sewing and embroidery dealers are so unique because number one, they have not only an enthusiastic customer, they have an obsessive customer. Mm. And as long as they can continue to engage them, and that's their, their ability. Number one, they provide service because they're mechanical electronic machines. So that brings them back mm. to the store. Uh-huh. People are always looking to upgrade, just like Apple, to the latest and greatest. So are sewing and embroidery customers. Bringing in fabric, which a lot of them got out of, and so did Walmart. Walmart right. decided to get back in. Dealers started bringing fabric. They're now diversifying which is the next thing, right? They brought in cutting machines. They brought in long arms. They have now all different kind of accessories beyond that of just needles and feet. So the smart dealers, I think, have such a great opportunity because they have a huge, loyal, um, dedicated customer base. Yes, yes. So anything they introduce, they have a customer who's almost interested. They don't have to start like introducing a new product you're trying to find out who's the right audience. How do I reach them? They've got 10,000 people they've sold, 50,000 people they've sold. Well, that's good when you're selling high margin, high value product. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think that now is the best is one of the best times, I think, for dealers because of the quality of machines and because of the recognition and the level that the dealers through one generation or a second generation and some help by the manufacturers have really become very professional, well-run organizations. I, I would agree with that. And I would say no matter what your product is, that's the key that, you know, you're looking for how more, uh, what other ways can I serve this demand that, you know, it kind of brings us all the way back to how we started talking about, you know, knowing your customer and knowing what their frustrations are. And then being able to say, how do I put my arms around a bigger part of their life when they come in contact with the 
main product they're coming in for whatever that's going to be and then excelling at it. So um, I think that's, I think that's really good. So um, how can they find out more about you, Dean? I know that you and I are connected on LinkedIn. What would, uh, what would be a good way for people to find out more about you? Yeah. So, so you can go to LinkedIn and just look for Dean Schulman. Uh, if you want, you can always send me an email direct at uh, Dean at DFS marketing ideas dot com perfect well again i've enjoyed our chat together and uh, you certainly have so many great ideas it's not a wonder that uh, you have been able to lead these strong teams through uh, such a changing time and i appreciate your time today great thank you bob take care of yourself bye bye now and that brings us to the end of another edition of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm your host, Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. Please share the love and tell your friends to subscribe as I engage retailers to share their tips for growing your retail business. Find out more about me at retaildoc.com. That's R-E-T-A-I-L-D-O-C.com. While you're there, you can find a transcript of this podcast. You can send an email to me at bob at retaildoc.com to tell me what you thought of this episode. And or you can leave a comment and share your experience right here as it relates to what we were talking about today. Again, I hope you'll tune in for another episode and good selling.